Hello listeners, welcome to another edition of Clutching at Crumbs. My name is Kevin Burrows, this is the Creativity in Isolation podcast. Somehow we've managed to make it to episode 20. Now, most of the people that have been on the show before, they're up and coming artists, up and coming bands, bands with a really small following, but loyal following. Um, but I'm very pleased to uh, be on the line with um, Darden Smith, who is, I'm not going to talk about how many records he sold, but uh, a very well established artist. So Darden, thanks for your time. Really appreciate the time you've taken out of your day. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Uh, Darden joins me from Austin, Texas. Um, we just described it as the least weird, weird place in America. But um, let's get to the point how I knit you. I'm, I've, I do actually own some of your records. That is true. I'm not just going to be nice. Um, wow. But we know, we know each other through, through knowing Boo Hewitting. Now, obviously, Boo's on my show next week as well. Um, I met Boo. Oh, really? He won't, he, won't, he won't be as good as I am. No, no, no of course. Yeah. I mean, he, he knows that. He's, he's fully aware that, um, I, that it's just going to be a, a second rate. But, um, so last week, Darden has his own po- podcast called Who Told You Could Do That? Boo was the first guest on that, in which Boo ate soup during the course of the program. I, I, have you chosen a soup? On my, I think sabotage moment. He was trying to sabotage my, my showbiz career again, again. So, yeah. Yes, <laughs> so he's done it before, having released two records with it. But it did seem bizarre that he was eating soup and then ordered a takeaway live on the podcast. Yeah, he, I've never seen that before. Yeah, well, I, I, I mean, exactly. You've seen people order takeaway but never eat soup and then order takeaway. It's, it's a very strange gap in the. You're not normally you'd have your starter and then your main course would come rather than have to order it. But anyway, that's 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 good for you. You'd think, you know, you'd think you'd go. You know, I'm I'm going to be a little professional here. Maybe I won't eat soup and order takeaway. It's just he, you know he doesn't he's that's what what has made his career the way it is today. But there was an audience really? of several hundred people watching. I thought it was very funny of people watching him eat soup. Um, anyway, so we yeah. we won't be eating. Um, you can. Have you chosen any food for? I'm good. I'm good. Be sure. Okay, that's fine. No, I've eaten. I've just eaten as well, so we're fine. Um, so for maybe there are people listening to this that aren't familiar with your work. I mean, I hate pigeonholing music because it's a terrible thing to do. But if you look on your Wikipedia page, it mentions about 15 different genres of music. I mean, Americana suits it nicely. But do you think, is that right? Or is that, is that an epithet that you're even, you even think exists? I think, that, I think Americana is um, a pretty good label for it. <clears throat> that, that wasn't around when I first started. You know, that label wasn't used. Uh, but I definitely, you know, I kind of... Uh, my sort of musical interests and curiosities led me all across the map. Um, and, uh, you know, I come from a, a folk, the, the sort of Texas folk singer-songwriter tradition, you know. Yeah. But uh, I've always been fascinated with pop music as well. And that, that, that made it really difficult for record companies to market me, so to speak. But um, yeah. I think now... My music has gone back to closer to where it was in the, when I first started as far as being more rooted in so the country folk uh, and for lack of a better word, Americana traditions, you know. Because I suppose that you're off to your first album came out in 86, was that right? Was that Native Souls? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so and the last one was 2017, so that 31 year gap. Yeah, it does, it does seem like, obviously you've released 14 studio albums at that time, it does seem like it's kind of, not full circle, like it's finished, but you're kind of arcing back towards where you started from because that mid nineties era, you definitely had like a, I'm going to use an awful phrase, a pop sheen to your stuff. I still like well, it. Well, what happened was uh, I, um, 
so I put out my first record, Native Soil, and, and you know, I didn't know anything. I was a kid, you know, I didn't know anything. I, I don't think I was really fully formed uh, as far as my musical sort of uh, even, I just didn't know who I was musically. Right. And um, I, got, I got a record deal. I got, I got a record deal right after that, uh, locked into this record deal with Epic Records, and that was signed out of Nashville. So that record was more country than I probably would have done on my own. Right. And I was very unhappy and uh, very unhappy with that deal because I was being uh, forced to, I was going to be forced as time went on to be more country, traditional country. And I, that really wasn't my uh, interest right. musically. <clears throat> and shortly after that, I met Boo Hewarding. So when Boo and I got together to write songs, uh, I was, I was flown to London to write songs with Boo. Um, at what, what happened was, what made our collaboration work was that he recognized kind of where I was coming from as far as more Americana folk country thing. And, and, and it allowed him to go that direction because he <clears throat> loved that kind of music for a long time. Yeah. It, it allowed to, to open up into that part of him that he had not been able to, to sort of uh, articulate musically and lyrically. And he opened up a sort of British pop, thing that I had been curious with, you know, because I, I fell in love with stuff like, um, you know, Niccolo, Elvis Costello, that thing that was going on, the pretenders even, you know, um, yeah. and, and I just had no, I didn't know how to play that music. I didn't know how to, to, I didn't know how those songs were structured. I'd never, I'd never studied it. I never had anybody to guide me in that world. And, and Boo opened that world for me. And, the songs and records that came after that were heavily influenced by that opening. And I was spending a lot of time in London, actually, uh, between 1988 and 95. I spent a lot of time there, mixed a record there, Trouble No More was mixed there. Trouble No More was produced by the same guy that produced the record I did with Boo, Mark okay. Lassell. All right. Um, a co-producer, I mean, it was part of it, it was produced by him. And then I, you know, I recorded in New York uh, for the record, the, the record called Little Victories that came out in 93. And so I was allowed and my record mm. deal was transferred from Nashville mm. to LA to New York on Columbia Records. And I was just allowed this freedom to explore. And I think I was getting closer to where, what I was interested in at the time. It wasn't that I was uh, looking for anything. I was more, more, getting towards the truth of what I heard in music. Okay. And it still is that way. I, I, because I, I've, I've been really lucky in that I've had um, enough success <coughs> to make a living, but never so much success that I was, uh, A, I didn't have to work, and B, that I was pigeonholed into a certain thing. So yeah. I've, I have, I've always had a lot of freedom to explore. That can be a good thing or a bad thing. But for me, I look at it as a real um, luxury that I have that I can kind of do kind of musically kind of whatever I want. Uh, I don't know. It's not like uh, millions of people are going to be disappointed in me. <coughs> uh, and there's not a label necessarily that's going to be upset with me because I turn in a record that sounds a certain way. I can do kind of, I have a lot of freedom. Yeah. And that's a luxury. At this point in my career, having, you know, 33 years into it now, I'm extremely lucky. 
I suppose, yeah, with that level of success, whichever, whatever that means, if you are selling multi-millions of records, you are pretty much doing what you're told, aren't you? I suppose when, when you, you don't sell... No, not necessarily doing what you're told. No, if you're selling millions of records, you're doing the telling. Uh, but there's an expectation on you. There's a lot of money riding on you. And, and that's a beautiful thing. I mean, if you have that, that can be totally freeing yeah. as well. It, it just depends on what kind of freedom you want and whether or not you're able to embrace it. I mean, I'm not, no one, that very few people are going to turn down selling millions of records. No, no. Um, but it's just, uh, I, I've, I've chosen to embrace what I do. And also I'm very curious about music. Uh, and I like different, I just, I hear different kinds of music and I've never been one thing or another, which is a, pro is a problem from a, of course, from a marketing standpoint, but yeah, I suppose uh, it is. That's like, that's like, so I'm not going to ask you what your influences are because I hate that question. But what what inspired you to pick up a guitar in the first place, or to think that this could yeah. be something you could do? Was it was it one song or one band or what was it that made you think I can? No, it was my brother. Uh, I was uh, I was nine years old when I started playing guitar, and uh, my brother played guitar, and I was jealous. And huh. so when he was out of the house, I would pick his guitar up and start playing it and uh, just walk around the house and look in the mirror, you know, dance in the mirror with my guitar, just like everybody else. And, um, and that's what started. And then once I did that, I just fell in love with the sound. It was just the, the raw, I, I didn't know where the chords were or anything. I just would hit it and just open. And I just, I just loved it. It was amazing. And I thought it was the coolest thing. And then once I learned some songs, it was, it was, you know, beyond cool. And then um, yeah. I started writing songs when I was 10. And that was, uh, it was like this invitation into the mystery of it all. Cause it was like, then I could tell stories. And yeah. I wrote, I wrote some songs from like 10 to, the age of 13 and my family moved from a farm. I lived in, in the country and um, uh, we moved from this farm into the city, we moved into the suburbs of Houston, Texas. Okay. And, um, um, and that was so weird. I was this country boy and we moved into the suburbs and I, I was so strange compared to everybody else. I felt so strange. I felt like such an oddball. Right. And, Fortunately, and I went from living in, on a place where, where I had a lot of, of sort of land to walk around on and cattle and chickens and I did hunting and fishing. I was a real nature boy to living in a suburb, you know, it was, and it was just very different. And I took that time to, uh, I just, I just started writing songs all the time. I was so, it was, became this catharsis for me that I could tell these stories and it was like a window into some, I didn't understand what I was doing at all. I didn't, I don't read music. I was right. just, and most of those early songs, I was just copying other songs, you know, Guy Clark songs, Towns Van Zandt, John Prine songs. Uh, these songs that I knew, Jim Croce, I mean, all these songs okay. that I grew up with, I would just copy them. And, but it was this way to deal with, you know, angst, if you could call it that. Uh, or just teenage emotions. And that was like a godsend. I don't know that I'd be alive if it wasn't for songs. I, I don't know that I would have made it through my teen years. I mean, literally. Yeah. And my early 20s. And, and once I learned how to tell secrets and how to tell stories and that I could 
people that people would hear the songs and not that they were great songs but people would hear the songs and they would see themselves in the songs that was magical to me i, I was just like that this incredible this is incredible and uh and I just knew that I wanted to do it. I didn't know how, I didn't know a single musician. I didn't know a single artist. I was just this weirdo guy who uh, grew up in a very normal sort of suburban household that there were no, there wasn't any art in the house at all. And I just, huh. I just, like, I wanna, I'd, I'd seen some, I'd seen Guy Clark on TV. And I was just like, wow, he's, he's doing it. How can I do it? And I didn't know how. I didn't know how the game worked at all. I just knew that this is what I want to do. I want to play music, and uh, so that that's why I started. You know. So, but and yeah. So it's not. It's not often that you know, a child of that age thinks I want to do something, and then forty years later, here you are doing it. Still, that must be a must well, be. Um, I, I know. I'm not. I, I, I enjoy what I do, but I wanted to be a soccer player. Didn't make it. Yeah. So, I've seen you know, well, Those dreams are shattered. Huh? Yeah, I was blessed with a couple of things. One of them is a, a ridiculous work ethic, uh, you know, that I, I got from being, I grew up in the country. I grew up on a farm. And yeah. I just, I, I've always worked for myself. I, I, even as a, uh, even when I was in school at home, living at home, uh, I, had, I had a little business that I ran, you know. I just, I like working for myself. And I look at it as work. I mean, this is what I do. This is, this is not, it's a hobby. This is not yeah. a game. It's work, and and <clears throat> I feed my family. This is what I do. It's, a, mm -hmm. it's a, and so uh, <clears throat> I'm very determined, um, and also um, I think I'm really lucky. I think I just really I got I got like I got a record deal when I was really young. I never passed a single demo tape. I never. Wow. I don't know how the game worked at all. I couldn't <clears throat> play the game. I didn't know there was a game. I just kind of was lucky and was doing these things and I, I just, I don't know. I just, I just got lucky. And then I, once you get lucky, if you get lucky early enough, it, it changes the arc of your sort of development. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And you know, I mean, I got, I put out this independent record native soil and I got a publishing, I got a publishing deal where people were paying me to write songs and once somebody paid me to write songs, it was, that was the most amazing feeling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and then I like was writing five, six songs a week. I was, all I did was write songs. And when you write five or six songs a week for a couple of years, you're going to start getting better. You know, you, you yeah. start professional people giving you critiques and, and it just changes you. And that, that was a massive, that was a, that was a game changer for me. Yeah. Cause I, 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 I was trapped in Houston in 2010 when the Icelandic volcano thing happened. The entire, uh, entire city is trapped in Houston. <laughs> Houston yeah. trapped in Houston, yeah. Um, so I, I thought I, I had three days to kill, and I thought I'd do something. I'm a type 1 diabetic. And so myself and my colleagues, we drove to Sugarland, and there's a photograph of me as a diabetic next to Sugarland. <laughs> I thought that was funny. I mean, you know, it's a pretty silly thing to do. Um, you mentioned John Prine, my guest on episode 11. There's a folk singer called Trish Augustine from, um, from New Brunswick. She covered two John Prine songs on episode 11. I'll send you the link. She did Christmas in Prison and yeah. Unwed Fathers. Yeah. Did a great job great. with it. Yeah, really interesting great. stuff. Obviously, that was about two days after he died as well, sadly. So shall we play one of your songs? I think so you very kindly offered that <laughs> I could play any song I wanted, which is very nice of you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Darden's let me choose 
uh, some songs. There's going to be four. Um, we talk, we, we mentioned uh, Boo Hood and stuff. We'll play that last. I think it's talking to you and then play one of, you know, a song that he sings largely on. Yeah. Now, I believe with Zoom, I've just discovered this. You can actually play stuff and it will record. So let's hope this works. So this is um, uh, from, this, this is Love Will Win the War. This is, this is from Everything. Is that right? Is that the right yes. album? Yes. So this, that's your, yes, this is from 2017? Yes. Okay, this is Dalton Smith and Love Will Win the War. Tonight. The battle has been joined. Another very disturbing video. An intentional act. The protesters have moved all the way down there. Democracy is not there without freedom, and freedom is not there without freedom of the press. Hate might win a battle. Love will win the war. In the shadows, settling scores. All you're gonna get for your trouble, another madman at the door. Hate might win a battle, boys. Love will win. Fill your mouth with poison I'm bound to swallow some Build a wall long and tall You got no room to run Walk with the heart of a lion
Don Smith with Love Win the War from the album Everything. Um, I love that song. Thank you for letting me play that. Um, the question I had to get came to my mind really was, so when, did your first album come out when you were 24? Yeah. Something like that. Um, so we're both born in the 60s, I'm, this is not an age thing, uh, I'm saying. So when you're, when you're 24 and you're writing a set of songs, it becomes your first album. I'm presuming the inspirations behind those songs are now, well, the, those songs are completely different from what inspires you now you're in your 50s. Is that true or is it, is, is it the same kind of stuff? I, I think I, you know, I, I don't think I've ever thought of, um, <clears throat> I mean, of course, you know, life is, life is <laughs> different when you're in your 20s than you are when you're, you know, I'm almost, I'm 58 now, you know, so it's like, uh, so, but what's always inspired me is human relations. Uh, I don't write, I've never been inspired by, like, to write political songs. I'm more inspired by uh, dynamics between people and yeah. phrase, <clears throat> word, words inspire me, and so, uh, turns of phrase and observations uh, that I see around me, you know, I mean, just having an imagination is, is the key and always keeping your antenna up for something that inspires you to write a song and yeah. being, will being <clears throat> willing to be uh, surprised. And, and those are, that, that's never changed, you know, and I still am more, I'm more drawn to, personal dynamic personal like relations than anything else you know um and uh there's always been a uh you know some threads there's the same threads and themes that go through my songs when i was a kid they still run through your songs i mean somebody said at one point i, I forget who it was but basically we all write two, we write three or four songs we just write them over and over in different yeah. ways yeah and i think it's i think <clears throat> that do that you know uh I just have my, that's the way my brain works, you know, so. But are your, is, is the, the you and me in your songs, is that, is that you, you and the me is your partner or is it, or are they, you write from sort of like Springsteen-esque kind of characters where Bruce Springsteen was interviewed on British TV and they, someone said to him, like, they, you write such great sort of like songs from the point of view of the working man and you've never had a job. And he said, yeah, I, I just inhabit characters. I've never worked a day in my life in that sense. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Is that, um, are they? Are they you? Yeah. Well, it's not <clears throat> super autobiographical, but it's at the same time. There's parts of me in every song. Yeah. It's, uh, it's code. It's code. You know, and uh, some of it's fiction and some of it's not. Sure. So, yeah. You know. So is are you? <clears throat> and I've, the, the creative people I've been speaking to on these podcasts that all finding new ways to be creative or finding new ways for their out for their creativity to be out poor because they can't play gigs, they can't rehearse. Are you finding inspiration on a daily basis of writing songs or are you finding the whole, a lot of, a lot of people are finding this whole situation such an odd thing to comprehend that it's kind of, you know, difficult to write about? Uh, I am, well, I, I, I'm, I'm lucky in many ways in that I, I don't, I don't yearn, I don't long for, uh, I don't long for inspirational sources. I have set my life up where I'm, I'm kind of bombarded by them. Right. I find inspiration all the time anyway. <clears throat> uh, you know, the time that we're living in now, right now, uh, is, is a very, very 
pressured time. So the inspiration is not coming out in writing. It's coming out more in drawing. All right. I'm drawing a lot and uh, making art. Uh, and, uh, and I'm performing a lot. I'm doing a lot of concerts and that's really fun. It's really, really fun. Yeah. And I'm inspired to connect with people through that in ways that I never was. I don't think I've been inspired in a long time. And uh, I've also, um, I'm inspired to notice things. I've been very, very aware of sound in the last month. Sound. Yeah. Uh, it has gotten really quiet. The world has gotten very quiet. Like we don't yeah. have planes yeah. for our houses <clears throat> much. Yeah. Nature itself has uh, taken more of a precedence in, in just the audio of the audio of life, you know, mm -hmm. and that's pretty cool. And I'm, I'm very inspired by that. So here's an odd question at left field. Where is the oddest place you've heard one of your records being played? Um, don't know. I've been in taxi cabs, you know, in you know New York City, and heard heard myself. This is back in the nineties. Uh, I was in a taxi cab in New York City. Um, I've been uh, I mean, nor you know, like when I tried back when I had you know was on had a major label deal and I was traveling around doing promotions stuff like that. You know, I heard my song on Norwegian radio one day. It's weird. Nice. Um, <clears throat> Uh, you know, and and uh, there's one of the strangest things being in a uh, being in a bar and hearing someone do one of your songs. Right, that's that, my next question. Have you seen someone cover one of your songs without that, knowing you were there? Yes, that was that was it. You know, and it was really incredibly gratifying and funny because <clears throat> you can turn to people and go, "I wrote that." They go, "No, I know you didn't." <laughs> did you? Did they believe you in the end? Yeah, <laughs> I pulled out my iPhone and show, had to show it to him. So, yeah. Okay, well that's that's yeah. I think I think I would. I, I think I probably want proof because anyone yeah. can say that. But yeah, you know. Um, but are you tempted so if if you if you hear your song on a taxi cab? Are you are you tempted to tell the driver that's you, or are you just more? No. Oh, I did. I did. Because I, I did that. Yeah, I was like, hey, that's me. And he's like, wow, and he turned it up. You know, he's like, oh, that's yeah. nice. It's New York. Anything could happen. You know. That is very true. Yeah, I, I, the only reason I asked, I was working in um, Chicago in 2002 and I got back from my day at work and put the TV on to find myself on the television on a, on a 1994 quiz show in the UK. Fantastic. That was a very, very strange thing to look at. I just turned the TV on and thought, oh, and I, just, I could hear my voice and thought, well, that can't be right. And then there I was. I didn't really even show in America, but there you go. But from a, from a game show, I won. I won the game show. Um, and, I, <laughs> and I won a prize of a holiday, which I then had to swap with someone because they're the guy who won the previous episode. He won a holiday, but he'd been there before. And the last time he got there, he was stabbed. And he said, would you mind swapping? So, <laughs> I, <ended> up, <laughs> so I said, no, that's all right. So I ended up with a weekend in, um, in Cologne rather than Dublin. But anyway, that's a bizarre story. So at time for, don't stop my whispering about my game show experiences. We'll play another one of your songs. Um, 
So, if you don't mind, I'm going to think. This is my favourite one of yours, actually. This I'm going to ask a question. So, your album Ojo, that that's oh, that's oh, oh. Oho. Yeah, I apologise only because I know some of the surname of Ojo, who's who, they're Nigerian. That's Ojo. Oho. Yeah. So, is that that's a as a reworkings album? Yeah, that was a. Uh, <clears throat> I used to do these. That was recorded at a place called Ojo Caliente, which is in New Mexico. It's an old spa. <clears throat> Is like natural, natural springs, ah. <laughs> and uh, but I used to go out there and take uh, you know there would uh, groups of people like fans and stuff like that. They would come in. We would spend three or four days. It was kind of a writing seminar, write, writing workshop, uh, creativity workshops, and things like that. We would cook dinner, and I had this house. I would rent this house. Some people would stay in the house, and other people would stay in, in other cabins and things, and. Uh, and I was doing, I would do these concerts at night and for them. And uh, I went, you know, I'm going to record one of these just for the heck of it, you know, and just put a couple of microphones up and ran it into my computer. And it was, it turned out like the room sounded really good and the guitar sounded right. And so I just mixed it with a friend, you know, and it was, so that's all that was. It was just me doing songs live in a, uh, in a house in New Mexico. It's, well, it's, that's, it's actually my favorite album of yours. Anyway, I just thought I would add that. It's, it's that raw, uh, raw sort of sound of it. It's just it's bizarre, bizarre because that record uh, has gotten more airplay than almost any other record I've really? put out. It's weird. Yeah, uh, I mean, Little Victory's got a lot of airplay, but um, that one got uh, yeah on digital radio. It got it was kind of nuts, and uh, it was really kind of funny because I did absolutely no promotion with that at all, like at all, and uh, it just sort of popped out it was it was really a lucky break that's a strange thing i i i know a, a, a songwriter called ian archer you know he wrote a lot of stuff by jake bug he wrote um uh james bay's first album in 2015 right. or 16 james bay's track hold back the river was the most played song on the radio in the world and someone wow. i know wrote that song and he just found it i think they said there was there was not a single second of that year in which that song wasn't being played on the radio at some point it was extraordinary Good. i hope he bought a I hope he bought a house with it he bought a castle with it yeah i bet yeah. Yeah. that's not a joke he actually bought a castle anyway so let's, let's play from oho which i've mispronounced all these years thinking it was my i've named after my nigerian friend this is uh Dalton smith and two dollar novels I turned right on first Left on White Oak Back to my old neighborhood I saw old Doc Randolph His morning's yard He's kept it up about the best he could Devil and his wife of 32 years She smiled as I drove by She waved from the front porch swing And she went back to reading her Two-dollar novel Playing with her wedding ring A few houses needed painting Unhinged, they generally play 
isn't the same Driveways are full of bikes and those Buick sedan Things in it good American would claim And all those other lovers That married for cover Lays out for the sacred nightly stroll They were wishing they were characters And dollar novel wishing for their weight in gold Mary Elizabeth she my high school sweetheart Best high school friend. He manages the hardware store. She became a nurse, and I became a memory of them. And all my other buddies just got lost in outer space, and they ran off to serve their country well. They're all fighting in the war Two dollar novels Only the toughest live to tell So I turned right on the white oak Left on first Out of that old neighborhood I left Dr. and Mrs. Randolph Sip an iced tea on their front porch Wondering if I'd ever come to any good And on a thousand shady streets In a thousand other towns Now people love they was doing just the same They're all living their lives Like two dollar novels why the world is so insane They're all living their lives Like two dollar novels And I'm wondering why there's nothing left to gain Darwin Smith from the Ojo album and Two Dollar Novels. Um, I was going to ask you a question actually about your family. You've got two children. Did they have they followed you into the musical realm or no, not at all. No, <laughs> no. Just, I... No, they uh, they they, uh, my, they just weren't drawn to play music, you know, in that way. The, both of them love music, but they also having a parent that um, does this. You see how it's hard. It's a hard way to make a living. Yeah. And uh, it's great. It's great when it works. But, you know, they, they, we also know a lot of people that it didn't work, you know. And I think that they were drawn to other uh, types of uh, pursuits. Good. Yes. I, it's the thing. If, you, if, you're the, if you're the children of a famous person, like a 
baseball player or a soccer player and you're not quite as good, it's really difficult. You've actually got to be better than your dad or your mum. That's the thing. Otherwise, well, they, 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 they will look down upon. that famous. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Not, not, you're not, not quite. A, yeah, it's, yes, fair enough. Uh, Beyonce, Beyonce and Jay-Z's kids. Don't bother. They don't need to do it, do they? Beyond the meat. Um, so I was going to talk about your other stuff, as well as the music we've, we've kind of obviously talked about a fair bit. But you've done these sort of educational programmes. Your songwriting with soldiers was what really grabbed me. Um, how did that come about? Can you explain a bit about that? Yeah, well, in, in the year 2000, right around the year 2000, I started to get very bored with playing music. Uh, the patterns of music, which is write songs, make a record, tour, write songs, make a record, tour. I was kind of bored with that. I was bored with songs. <clears throat> I didn't really have anything to say, and I was wondering what I was going to do. And around that time, my children were young, and I started going to their schools and hanging out more, and I started writing songs in their school. And I found that I really loved it. And so I was, I was thinking about creativity and, and what we teach our kids about creativity. And so I came up with this program called the Be an Artist program, and the Be an Artist program is is based on the concept that creative thinking comes from um, uh, attention, att attention, intention, and doing what you love. <clears throat> and so, and part of that program that I did was a, a collective songwriting. So I'll write songs with a group, you know, 30 people having yeah. me with. And uh, from that, I, and I found that I really enjoyed that. I did it all over America and uh, Europe. I did it a lot in England and Scotland and France and Germany and stuff when I was touring. And from that, I started to get to ask to do different things. I started working in a homeless shelter in, New in Newark, New Jersey. I would come in and do the same thing, writing songs, talking about creativity with homeless teenagers. <laughs> and they're very urban kids. And I learned a couple of things. First up, the, that I learned that, um, the, the, that when you write songs with someone else, and you're taking their story and turning it into a song, it, there's a trauma transference that happens. And that their trauma of their experience actually lifts off them and comes onto you as the practitioner. Okay. As it, and then, and they feel fantastic. And you feel as the songwriter, you feel like you've been hit by a truck, you know, but, um, so that's the one thing I learned there. And then I learned uh, that uh, the power of difference where when you sit down with somebody who's very different than you and you can collaborate that there's a real power in that because you can create something in some ways bigger, like a bigger bowl to hold everything in. As opposed to if you sit down with somebody who's just like you, okay, that's cool, but you kind of have one perspective. If you sit down with somebody who's radically different than you and you meet in the middle, you, you find this level of compromise. You find a level of collaboration that's really beautiful so those uh you know the collective songwriting the trauma transference and the power of difference uh I, from that i did a lot of work with uh like um israeli palestinian groups okay. uh, company um you know gangs getting them to write songs together uh not from a therapy aspect at all it was more just a creativity collaboration it was just curious it was just interesting um and then I met some soldiers, some American veterans, soldiers in Germany at a base. And I never, 
I've never really been around military uh, community at all in my life. And I met this guy who was so fascinating and he was a Marine and uh, I just, something clicked in my mind and I went, wow, we should write some songs together, you know? And uh, that was the germ of songwriting with soldiers was this ah. real, we're very different. And what would happen? Just <clears throat> what would happen? If I sat down and wrote songs with him and, and he highlighted a very interesting thing to me. Cause I said, wow, this is really interesting. Like I've never spoken to anybody in a uniform like this. And he said, well, you know, we all wear uniforms. <clears throat> and I was like, what do you mean? And he said, well, you look like a musician. <laughs> and it was really, it was a very profound moment. Cause I realized, oh, the reason that I don't think I have anything in common with these people is because I'm thinking I don't have anything in common. And yeah. as soon as I stopped that it allows me to find the space to have that common ground and from that common ground leads the potential for collaboration and when you have the potential for collaboration you have the opportunity to tell a story and by telling that story you can move not only that person that you were writing with at the time but you can move what i call the anonymous listener someone who's just out there who hears the stuff yeah it can be moved and from that i just I just was, I was just moved to uh, start working with this community, the military community. I'm not <clears throat> pro-military, not like, you know, rah-rah. It's not, that's not what Songwriting with Soldiers is about. It's an organization. It's a, it's a fairly large organization now. And what we, what we do is we bring people together. We're more of a people organization as opposed to we're not government, we're not military, we're not religious. It's just people professional creative people come together and we do collaborative songwriting with people who don't write songs and right. we help yeah. them tell them, help them tell their stories and through that we allow people <clears throat> who uh, hear the stories to find themselves in the songs and so the the benefit of this is it ripples out across the world you find that people say that they, they don't have a story or they don't have a backstory, or whatever. Everyone's got a story to tell. Everyone has a story. But some people just don't have the... Especially the people that yeah. don't think they have a story. Exactly. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, once you start talking to them about their stories, they actually, yes, you have. They're the ones that kind of... It's the people that tell you their story. They've actually got nothing to say. It's the ones that kind of keep it close. They don't they've got anything to say. They're the ones with the, with the interesting sort of tale to tell. But I guess... That's what you can do is bring that out in yeah. song. Yeah, That's finding finding the finding the story is is yeah. fascinating. Yeah, I love it. I love the work. I love the work because uh, at a certain point, you know, like I said, I was bored with the sort of standard music. I love music more than ever now, and I love writing songs. I I love recording. I love tour. I love doing shows and all that stuff. But this other work is somehow deeper and richer than anything I ever I've ever experienced with music. And one of the beautiful things is it's not about me. It's not about I mean these songs. When I write songs with songwriting with soldiers and the way that we've developed this way, this method of working, the trick is for the songwriter to stay completely out of the song. You're merely a vehicle for this other story. Yeah. So it's it's really about bringing your. It's a service. It's a service job. Um, yeah. Your job is to drive the bus. 
You're yeah. not going shopping, driving the people to shop, you know, and, um, and it's beautiful. So it's really freeing. And all the writers that work with us, uh, we, what we've all experienced is a, it's, 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 uh, there's a, there's a creative danger to it, <clears throat> which is not like we're staying physically, but it's like, it's like you walk into a room with somebody, you sit down, you have no idea what this song is going to be about. And you yeah. have two hours to, and, and that's a really risky thing that it's hard to find that danger in creativity. It, when you have been doing this for 25 years, it's hard yeah. to, it's hard to find risk. And so yeah, that okay. allows us, and it's improved all of our writing as well. It's, it's made us, it's, all the writers that work with it, it they've, they've all said it, it's helped them become better writers. I suppose if you're sitting down with another songwriter of the same experience, you can almost predict what they're going to come up with, but you're, you're sitting down with someone who's not a songwriter. Is it, it's, it's, it's open house, isn't it? Well, it is. And you never know what they're going to say. Yeah. And they, they're just talking. And so when we talk, especially when, when people talk about the, so the foundation of songwriting with soldiers, as far as the songs goes, is when, when people talk and when they tell uh, the story the, like the highest impact story of their life. It could be a trauma. It could be a joy. It could be, in, but the high, the, the, like the highest impact story of yeah. their life. Your words get very simple. Like if you describe the birth of a child, you describe the death of someone, you describe, you know, a, an injury, a, a trauma of some kind, your words get very simple. You don't use complicated words to describe the birth of a child. You go, Oh my God, it was amazing. Mm -hmm. yeah. It was <clears throat> what, what, what you see when you look into your child's eyes? I see heaven. Boom. There it is. Yeah. Um, and and uh, so it's, it's magical because they just give us, they're full of song hooks. Yeah. They're yeah. just, it's just, it's like a, it's like a song hook factory. And <laughs> yeah. then it, it, so in a way it's really easy. It's really easy to do this because you just wait for them to say something. The trick is, is being aware and practicing awareness and neutrality in the writing practice practice just sitting there and not judging not, because you hear when you're working with vets veterans uh many of them are combat veterans mm -hmm. the stories that you hear can be quite taxing on your moral and ethical codes yeah and you have to not judge them so as I said to another writer, we were in a room with 12 men at this writing session. And I leaned over to him and I said, you know, we're, we're, the, we're the only two people in the room that haven't taken somebody's life. Yeah. Now, our job <clears throat> is to love these people. Just love them for who they are. Just love yeah. them. Not judge them. And if we can just love them from a neutral space, we can really get something done here. And that's a powerful thing. <clears throat> I mean, it's changed, that, that thing has changed my life in so many ways. But I think when we do that, the, the potential for creativity and for change, using creativity to, to make a change, it's really profound. And uh, I, I am so grateful to have found that work. It was an amazing thing to, to get the chance to do and then grasp it and it, make, it, you know, make it such a, an important thing to you. And that's, 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 that's the crucial thing. It's clearly, it's clearly a really important part of your life. Oh, it's a very, very important part of my life. I mean, it's like I work on songwriting with soldiers every day. It's an, it's an organization. I don't run the organization anymore, thankfully. 
because I'm terrible at running organizations. Um, but uh, it it is a big it is a big part of my life and work, and I hope to, it will be, you know, forever. You know? Yeah, no, that's a great it's a great thing to do. Let's play another song. I'll have a, another brief chat after that, and we'll we'll, we'll finish with the okay, with the okay great uh, collaboration. So, I've, what the song I've chosen is from your 2010 album Marathon, and this right. it, this song for some reason reminded me of Jim White. You know Jim White stuff. Mm-hmm. I presume you did. I don't even know where Jim White's from. Is he from? He's not even. He's Florida. From, he's from Florida. Ah, oh, okay. I, I do believe. Oh, really? Oh, okay. I think either Florida or Southern Alabama. I'm, oh. not, I'm not sure. One of those two. Georgia, somewhere around there. I don't know why it reminded me of him. Maybe I don't know. Dick. It. it doesn't sound anything like Jim White. But anyway, um, this is uh, a track uh, from Darden's album Marathon. This is called "75 Miles of Nothing." Seventy-five 
confess that I played that song from YouTube I don't have the album and the next video up they suggested I should play was Mazzy Star Fade Into You that's quite a nice link uh, that would have been quite a nice good. thing to fade into it literally fade into it yeah. um, so what's what's next then obviously no no touring no gigs obviously what have you got in well, the doing, we're doing a lot of shows here in town I'm, I'm uh, I have an art show up it's uh, at a gallery uh, in a uh, city a town just outside of Austin so I'm doing that. Uh, so a lot of songwriting with soldiers work all through <clears> as soon as we can start traveling again. Uh, we're doing a lot of digital, you know, sort of online uh, collaborations with songwriting with soldiers. Uh, if anybody wants to find out more about that, that's songwritingwithsoldiers.org. Right. And um, so um, there's a lot of that. And, and uh, I will probably uh, do some recording towards the end of the year. Okay. Uh, I've Started this uh, this interview program. Uh, who said you could do that? Yes, I'll, I'll be doing those. You know, and uh, I'm, I've I've got I've got a ton of I've got too many projects to do. <laughs> well, I've just got the same uh, thing. I've, I've, it's from, I give people an idea when I'm recording. Obviously, Darden six hours behind. It's now ten p.m. for me, and I've I've done nothing other than work and record podcasts for thirteen hours today. And on a normal working day, I wouldn't have done that. I'm finding I'm finding I'm more creative than than I've been for a long time. It's got odd, isn't it? It's... I think it's been that way for a lot of people. I think I think there's been a general quieting of the world, and when that yeah. happened, you are already have a creative sort of the creative muscle. Yeah, it's allowed a lot of space for that creativity to come out, which has really been nice. I mean, I know all my artists and musician friends sort of we as painful as this is for many people. This uh, time of forced social distancing, as they call it here, um, uh, it has allowed us a lot of freedom to dig down inside and and be creative. Yeah, oh, it has. It's, it's, an odd, it's an odd time to do it, but if, if you're going to try and make a positive out of it, it's people are, are creating art. And that's one of the my first interviews I did with, the, with a friend of mine who's an author, uh, Dr. Simon Elliott, who was concerned that he was never going to get a book finished in time um lockdown happened finished the book that's so exactly. it's extraordinary he just he just sat down and said, well i've got nothing to do i might as well finish the book it's, and he's starting another one already so it is a strange time for us trying to you're trying to look at the positives of when this will end and we can get out of it but yeah i think it's so I'm, not of, sure I want, I'm not sure i want out of it <laughs> I, I would i would do if i could see, see my girlfriend but i've not seen her for five weeks so it's gonna well that's a different thing i, I i'm uh, lucky i live with my i live with my love so i'm good yes <clears throat> now what that'll yeah that's that's what i'm kind of looking at doing yeah. um yeah so darwin thanks very much indeed for your time really appreciate um the time you're given so and your your website's just dardensmith.com isn't it dardensmith.com yes and if you want to know anything about songwriting with soldiers it's songwritingwithsoldiers.org yeah, no, I should definitely will add that in the in the text. Of my um, of this, if you're listening to it on Castbox, presumably, um, I'll add that in there. Um, so it's really kind of you. Thanks very much indeed. Oh, wait, we've never met before, but said how our mutual friend Mr. Hewardine, which will I'll end up playing a song. So I, <laughs> I, 
the story about my, uh, this album. So, Boo and Darden released an album in 1989 called Evidence. Yes. Eight and nine. Yes. Evidence. Yeah. Yes. I bought that on cassette. This shows how long ago it was. I bought it on cassette in 1989. Um, and I think I couldn't have played it more than twice. And it got, and the tape got caught in my car stereo and just reeled all over the place and never had it again. So I thought, when are we going to, when Darden agreed to do this, um, this show, I thought, I'll go and buy the CD. Didn't even think of how much it would cost. And I found it on Amazon. If you look at it, have a look yourselves. Don't, don't have to believe me. Go to Amazon.com, search for music, Evidence, Boo Hewdy and Darden Smith. And you will find this album is on sale for 1,300, sorry, £1,493.92. So I didn't buy it, I have to admit. So um, why? Was it, was it deleted? <laughs> why? <Was> it? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's been gone for years. It's, it's like completely unavailable in the commercial market. Uh, so it was one of those records that came out and, you know, it didn't sell. Like, it didn't sell a lot of records, never sold. All right. It got great reviews, and it was. Uh, I think that evidence somehow captured like a magical time for us, and yeah. um, it just connected. <clears throat> I mean, people that know about it know about it, and they seem to like it, which is always incredibly gratifying. So, what do you we remember? About the no idea. We had no idea what we were doing. We didn't plan it that way. Right. The whole collaboration <clears throat> is. Uh, a couple of people who didn't know how to write songs together and uh, a record company guy, Nigel Grange, who uh, was uh, completely mad and, and was able to do whatever he wanted to do. And he said, let's make a record. Let's give you guys a record. Deal. And like uh, we, Boo and I had known each other for four days when we got our record together, when we got our record, deal. we'd known each other for a total of four days wow. when we got a record deal. <clears throat> we were, we both looked at each other like, oh, this is easy. This piece of cake. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we had no idea what we were doing. And it was never planned. The record company went bankrupt, right? Uh, Chrysalis Records uh, huh. kind of went bankrupt right as the record came out. Uh, it, the whole thing fell apart. Our tour went down. It was like everything was a nightmare. But the music somehow survived. And that's a beautiful thing. Do you know and the French. Well, the friendship, of course, yeah. Now, we're going to play the, the title track. Do you remember much about the writing process? Who wrote what? Because one thing you do know is no. asking, asking Boo about the 1980s is a daft thing to do because he's going to say... Yeah, I, I, I have no idea about who wrote what in this song. Uh, I think that he might have had the idea for evidence, but musically, I mean, I, don't, I remember kind of it happening, but I don't remember uh, who did what. It was the whole thing. We were writing two songs a day and when you write two songs a day for four or five days, you can't remember what your name is. It's like it, it's the, your, your brain just goes complete to mush and you just, we're just firing on all pistons. Uh, and it was, uh, we were just writing so fast. We were writing so fast that we had no idea what we were doing. Cause the, op the opening couplet of, White roses when I always send you red. Just, just I can just imagine that's that's his, that's his opening. Yeah, something tells me Hurdine wrote that. <clears throat> something like Hurdine. That's a yeah, Hurdine line. It is. But um, kind of kind of, kind of irritating. <laughs> yes. Well, I, do you know? I, I was going to mention. I, I my band at the time in 1993, we had a publishing deal ready to go, and I wouldn't change the chorus of the song. Um, 
because the chorus of this, or the, 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 the hook line of the song was, is, it was a divorce song, or whatever, a breakup song. And I, the line I had written was, if, it's, if we're over, finished, done with, let's forget about the past. We used to be a passion play, but we were both miscast, right? I thought that was quite a nice couplet. I was happy with that. Still probably the best lines I've ever written. And the publishing guy said, excuse my language, everyone is looking back at who the fuck's going to sing that? What he meant was that he just, no one's going to sing along to it. You're not going to have an audience singing that song back at you. And then, right. did, you, did you ever have that with a, a point where you've got someone saying, well, that, that's, that's not catchy enough, or that you've, you've used words that are too difficult or whatever? Because, I mean, your, your, your lyrics are not simple by any means, because, but they use a lot of interesting language. Do you, do you have like a, someone at that point who edited your stuff? Absolutely. Really? Absolutely. And, and for the most part, they were right. Right. I, I was blessed. I've been blessed by uh, good mentors all of my, my work life. Good in the music and the publishing and uh, the record production. You know, I don't know that I've made great records, uh, but I've, I've been around. I've allowed myself to be around people that were really good at what they did. And I listened to them and I allowed myself to be coached. I didn't allow myself to be pushed around. I did allow myself to be coached because right. they were generally successful. They weren't always right. I didn't do everything they said, <clears throat> but I did allow myself to try because a long time ago, back in the nineties, uh, I had an A&R man in, at Columbia, a guy who did A&R at Columbia named David Kahn. He's a record, great record producer, produced Walk Like, uh, walk life and Egypt, walk like Egyptians and, and uh, Bangles records. I don't know, tons of great stuff. <clears throat> and uh, he said, you know, it's not the Magna Carta. These songs aren't the Magna Carta. You know, they're songs. <laughs> they're not. That's not like yeah. We're we're not curing cancer here. This is songs, and it's just a song. Don't get too precious about it. That was a really revealing thing for me because this guy was the head of the A and R department at Columbia Records, and he's mm. telling saying don't take this too seriously. You know, it's just a song. And I, that, that was a really revealing thing. And, and, and it just helped me relax a little bit and listen because, you know, they might be right. And yeah. They might be right. Sometimes the worst thing you can have as a, as a writer is experience because you get tricky yeah. and you fall in love with your tricks as opposed to the truth. And what people really want is the truth, not tricks. No one sings tricks. <clears throat> they sing truth. I was wrong, wasn't I? I can tell now. I think so. Yeah, I should have changed it. So one last thing. Is there a bird outside your window? Is there a bird outside? Because yeah. it's a nice sounding bird. I just thought I didn't recognize. I didn't think that kind of bird we'd have in Croydon. <laughs> it just sounds like a more exotic bird. Yeah. They don't go to Croydon. There's an ocean in between. Yeah. That is very true. Well, they, if they're going to migrate, they're not going to migrate to where I live. I can assure you that. Um, well, if migrate, they might migrate to Croydon, but I, 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 I'm not sure. We're famous for our parakeets. We have many parakeets in Croydon. Um, a, a parakeet got out, apparently, from someone as a pet. And within sort of six months, there was thousands of parakeets flying around Croydon. It was quite nice and colourful. But um, there you go. That's just an ornithological... Uh, ending. So we're going to end with uh, the track Evidence, which um, Darden very kindly sent me. 
So I want to thank you for sending me. And so I didn't have to spend 1,300 quid on the, on the record. I would, had I had the money, I would have, I would have gladly bought it. But um, anyway, Darden's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for indeed your time. If you want to listen to Darden's um, or watch Darden's podcast, it's called Who Told You You Could Do That, which is available on all good podcast mediums. Because I, 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 I'm watching on Facebook. Are you going to put it on sort of Podomatic and those kind of things as well? Or? Where else can you find it? Uh, I'm not sure. Right now, it's just living on Facebook. I'm not that organized yet. So right now, we're okay. just recording stuff. So, yeah. Well, excellent. Well, thanks for your time, Darwin. It's absolute pleasure. And um, hopefully, I'll come and see you play live in the UK. Let's gonna, it's going to be okay. next year. Let's hope. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Thanks very much. Yeah.